Hello, and welcome again to another podcast of The Conservative Historian. This one entitled, The Myth of Publicly Funded Infrastructure. The date is June 2020. There was a time in Congress when presidents would send over their State of the Unions in writing. This is far more preferable to the bizarre circus of a president addressing Congress from the podium with members of their own party jumping up and down like hundreds of jack-in-the-boxes. In one of these written accounts, delivered by President John Quincy Adams in December of 1825, the topic of internal improvements was raised. Quote, Upon this first occasion of addressing the legislature of the Union, with which I have been honored in presenting to their view the execution so far as it has been effected, of the measures sanctioned by them for promoting the internal improvement of our country, unquote. Adams later described the vision of these improvements. Quote, Roads and canals, by multiplying and facilitating the communications and intercourse between distant regions and multitudes of men, are among the most important means of improvement, but moral, political, intellectual improvement are duties assigned by the author of our existence to social, no less than to individual man. Unquote. Even before this statement, the territory of Missouri, in the process of applying for statehood in 1820, declared, quote, internal improvements shall forever be encouraged by the government of this state, unquote. This was one of the many provisions of those territories wishing to become states in the early 1800s. American leaders of this time, trained in their classics in a way modern students are not, used history as a link. The intellectual Adams was no exception. Quote, The magnificence and splendor of their public works are among the imperishable glories of the ancient republics. The roads and aqueducts of Rome have been the admiration of all after ages and have survived thousands of years after all her conquests have been swallowed up in despotism or became the spoil of barbarians. Unquote. During this period of time, the executive was not the transcending branch that it has become in 2020. Rather, certain leaders in Congress including, and especially Henry Clay, held as much, if not more, influence and authority as the president's. It was Clay who defined the concept of internal improvements as part of the, quote, American system, unquote, developed during the 1820s. Clay's American system was a group of policies that included higher tariffs, the chartering of a bank of the United States, and internal improvements. In a speech delivered in 1832, Clay defended the system, quote, And I now say, preserve the protective system in full vigor. Give us the proceeds of the public domain for internal improvements, unquote. Andrew Jackson killed that national bank. Tariffs are still the subject of debate, but with the income and corporate tax, not the primary source of revenue as they were in Clay's time. But the concept of internal improvements is still very much a source of mischief for politicians today throughout the Republic. Internal improvements or infrastructure spend is usually a political winner 
these types of spending projects or boondoggles, depending on one's point of view, create jobs, foster commerce, and provide a platform for future growth opportunities. Of course, capitalism could do all of that as well and with greater efficiency. But politicians, such as Adams, do not get as much credit or as many votes for creating the circumstances of prosperity as an indirect provision of funds. Rather, they get the goods, votes, credit, maybe even money down the road, by being the one who provides the direct largesse to a targeted constituency. No less than Republican Donald Trump, in a comment on April 7, 2020, stated, quote, we're going to do perhaps infrastructure, which you wouldn't have gotten approved before, and now people are looking to do it. And the beauty is we're paying zero interest or very close to zero interest. In some cases, we're paying actually zero, and the dollar is very strong, and people are investing in the dollar, unquote. Arguably, the most touted of all American infrastructure projects was the Erie Canal. In a 2017 segment from CBS News, humbly titled, All Hail the Erie Canal, CBS states, quote, The canal also accelerated the western expansion of the nation. People and commerce were able to reach and develop what would become the American Midwest, a region that was isolated and landlocked, was now connected via the canal and the Hudson River down to New York City and the world, unquote. John Steele Gordon, in his seminal Empire of Wealth, states, quote, The Erie Canal would prove the most consequential public works project in American history and make New York, both state and city, the linchpins of the American economy for more than a century, unquote. Well, maybe. Prior to the construction of the canal, New York City was already the largest in the Young Republic due to its excellent port, the Hudson River, and central location. And as far as is this having to be a public works project, if the Erie Canal was as successful as has been suggested by at least two prominent writers that have been stated here, then more than likely, private industry would have built it anyway. Regardless, there is no doubt that the Erie Canal helped with this growth. But the larger question was that of public funding. As Carter Goodrich noted in his essay, The Revulsion Against Internal Improvements, the author states, quote, Even New York's brilliant financial success with the original Erie Canal was followed by great losses on the lateral or feeder canals of the state system, unquote. The American system extolled by Clay led many states to either borrow too much or to float public bonds. Quote, the ability to meet interest rates and principal on them led to more drastic decisions, including default, unquote, adds Goodrich. Many southern states also desired public works projects, infrastructure, and internal improvements in the forms of railroad development. In an essay entitled, A New Look at Antebellum Southern Railroad Development, author James Ward states, quote, a larger proportion of investment in the South was raised in the public sector than in the private one. The South relied on the public coffers to a greater extent than did the rest of the country, unquote. 
Southern railroads were not just about moving cotton closer to ports of export. As John Majewski notes in his Modernizing a Slave Economy, the economic vision of the Confederate nation, quote, promoters sometimes focused on military advantages. The use of railroads to quell slave rebellions or move troops to justify the public investment, unquote. In Empire of Wealth, Gordon goes on to name a what's what of American internal improvements. Quote, the Erie Canal would prove to be the first of the long and continuing list of mega projects. The Atlantic Cable, the Transcontinental Railroad, the Brooklyn Bridge, the Panama Canal, the Hoover Dam, the Interstate Highway System, and the Apollo Project that would become so much a part of the American experience, unquote. Essentially, Gordon's argument is that these projects are almost as much about national unity, certainly the case with the moon landing, as much about economic stimulus. As a believer in internal improvements, Dwight David Eisenhower and one of his legacies was the creation of the interstate highway system in 1956. One of the justifications was the Cold War. His use of national security is a common tactic for politicians wishing to justify domestic spending. The reasoning behind the creation of the interstate highway system is often touted by progressives who want to use the federal government on large infrastructure projects, or as President Obama once later referred to, shovel-ready projects. What is notable, and something President Obama learned the hard way, is that the interstate highway system could not be built in the early 21st century. Between the needs of local entities, environmental concerns, and general bureaucracy, building similar internal improvements has become more and more problematic. Also, the claim of the success of the interstate highway system belies the fact that the U.S. economy was far and away the largest in the world in 1956 and highly robust without this federal largesse. As for the military value, America managed to win two world wars without the interstate highway system. The challenge to this chicken and egg kind of thinking is backward. Nations do not build highway systems without some form of cash. Even when they borrow, they are taking from potential earnings from future generations. Nothing in government happens without the prospect of future governmental taxation. In the case of the interstate highway system, the U.S. was already the largest economy on the planet and had been since late 1800s. This infrastructure project was only possible due to those entities in the nation capable of producing revenue that could be taxed. The government does not create revenue. It distributes and redistributes revenues from its citizens and their enterprises. It was then noteworthy that the promulgator of the interstate highway system, built under the false patina of military exigency, to turn around at the end of his presidency and sound a warning of this military governmental alliance. Quote, In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military industrial complex. The potential for this disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. We should take nothing for granted. 
Unquote. Eisenhower was right in this concept, but the glue linking the complex together is government. It is one thing for government to oversee the military, but by using military exigencies as justification for large public works projects, government becomes part of the complex and faces the questionable prospect of trying to oversee and regulate itself. During the 2008 financial crisis, President Barack Obama proposed a near-trillion stimulus plan of which $150 billion was to go to infrastructure. As Obama found out, shovel-ready is not really a thing anymore. In a 2017 article on the Bazinga blog, author Wayne Duggan notes, quote, When it comes to economic stimulus, local governments may take years to begin actual construction, even once they receive funding. The reason why such a small portion of the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act of 2009 ended up spent on infrastructure is that the projects are simply too slow to get off the ground to provide meaningful near-term stimulus, unquote. Another proponent of infrastructure for stimulus, former Pennsylvania Governor Ed Rendell said, quote, if you are talking about stimulating the economy, shovel-ready doesn't mean get the money on Monday and start on Tuesday, unquote. Even Obama himself admitted as much. In a 2010 interview with the New York Times Magazine, conducted by Peter Baker, Obama, quote, told me he had no regrets about the broad direction of his presidency, but he did identify what he called tactical lessons. He let himself look too much like the same old tax-and-spend liberal Democrat. He realized too late that there's no such thing as shovel-ready projects when it comes to public works. Perhaps he should not have proposed tax breaks as part of his stimulus and instead let the Republicans insist on the tax cuts so it could be seen as a bipartisan compromise. Unquote. American politicians' desire for publicly funded works is not exactly unique to this nation. As Adams noted it, it goes back for centuries. What is often lost is that many of these same projects, especially when completed more for public perception than for economic growth, can be the ruin of nations. The fourth dynasty of Egypt quickly fell after the construction of the Great Pyramids. Alhambra's cost meant less revenue for the Nasrid dynasty to fight the burgeoning Christian powers in Spain. The Taj Mahal bankrupted the Mughal Empire and opened the way for British colonialism. Bourbon France never economically recovered from the construction of Versailles. For a historian, these sites are once-in-a-lifetime experiences and now generate significant tourism dollars. But for the common people of the time who endured the taxes and the subsequent economic dislocation, they were a disaster. All of these works were undertaken by a ruler with authoritarian powers, but that does not preclude an ambitious governor or American president with a supine Congress undertaking such expensive acts. The Big Dig of Boston began in 1991. It was supposed to cost $2.8 billion and take seven years to build. It ended up costing $8 billion and took 16 years to build. It will not be fully paid off, if ever, until 2038. The California High-Speed Rail, 
a new bullet train between San Francisco and Los Angeles was purported to cost $33 billion when originally proposed in 2008. But as of May 2020, 12 years later, the new projections put it at nearly $90 billion. Only a small amount of track has been laid in a rural area of California at a cost already of $12 billion. The far more expensive track in the urban areas of San Francisco and Los Angeles County lay ahead. Given these projections, current California Governor Gavin Newsom has been very tepid in his support and has probably, though not publicly yet, come to the conclusion that this train to nowhere, as some of its critics call it, will never be completed. Which begs the question, what was that $12 billion already spent really about? This is not an argument for pure libertarianism, as if that could ever exist. Building of roads is one of the few things, along with police and the military, that should be in the purview of a government, albeit the more local, the better. Rather, it is a caution that when politicians of any stripe and of any party begin using infrastructure as a panacea for economic ailments, do not believe them and treat their speculations with a huge dollop of caution. Instead, one would be better to ask for a tax cut, for deregulation, and a rollback of some of the more onerous and silly environmental edicts. Then, an American could build something cool all of their own. Thank you.